Section 1 of The Worshipper of the Image. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Holly McGuire. The Worshipper of the Image by Richard Lagalienne. Chapters 1 through 7. Chapter One Smiling Silence To Selajo This Tragic Fairy Tale Chapter One Smiling Silence Evening was in the wood, still as a dreaming bracken, secretive, moving softly among the pines as a young witch gathering simples. She wore a hood of finely woven shadows, yet though she drew it close, sunbeams trooping westward flashed strange lights across her haunted face the birds that lived in the wood had broken out into sudden singing as she stole in hungry for silence passionate to be alone and at the foot of every tree she cried hush hush to the bedtime nests when all but one were still she slipped the hood from her face and listened to her own bird the night-jar toiling at his hopeless love from a bough on which already hung a little star then it was that a young man with a face shining with sorrow vaulted over the mossed fence and dipped down the green path among the shadows and the toadstools and the silence silajo he said over to himself i love you silajo far down the wood came and went through the trees the black and white gable of a little chalet to which he was dreaming his way suddenly a small bronze object caught his eye moving across the mossy path it was a beautiful beetle very slim and graceful in shape with singularly long and fine antennae antony had loved these things since he was a child dragonflies with their lamp-like eyes of luminous horn moss with pale-like wings that filled the world with silence as you looked at them sleepy as death loved them with the passion of a japanese artist who delights to carve them on quaint nuggets of metal perhaps it was that they were so like words words to which he had given all the love and worship of his life surely he had loved silajo more since he had found for her that beautiful name he held the beetle in his hand a long while loving it then he said to himself with a smile in which was the delight of a success a vase-shaped beetle with deer's horns the phrase delighted him he set the insect down on the path tenderly he had done with it he had carved it in seven words the little model might now touch its delicate way among the ferns at peace a vase-shaped beetle with deer's horns he repeated as he walked on and then the gathering gloom of the woods suggested an addition and some day i shall find in the wood that moth of which i have dreamed since childhood the dark moth with the face of death between his wings the chalet stood on a little clearing in a little circle of pines from the ground it sloped down towards the valley and at some distance beneath smoke curled from a house lost amid clouds of foliage the abounding green life of this damp and brooding hollow a great window looking down the woodside filled one side of the chalet and the others were dark with books 
an occasional picture or figured jar lighting up the shadow a small fire flickered beneath a quaintly devised mantle though it was summer for the mist crept up the hill at night and chilled the soles of the books a great old bureau with a wonderful belly of mahogany filled a corner of the room breathing antique mystery and refinement at one end of it on a small vacant space of wall hung a cast apparently the death mask of a woman by which the eye was immediately attracted with something of a shock and held by a curious fascination the face was smiling a smile of great peace and also of a strange cunning one other characteristic it had the woman looked as though at any moment she would suddenly open her eyes and if you turned away from her and looked again she seemed to be smiling to herself because she had opened them that moment behind your back and just closed them again in time it was a face that never changed and yet was always changing she looked doubly strange in the evening light and her smile softened and deepened as the shadows gathered in the room antony came and stood in front of her silajo he whispered i love you silajo smiling silence i love you all day long on the moors your smile has stolen like a moonbeam by my side as he spoke from far down the wood came the gentle sound of a woman's voice calling antony and coming nearer as it called with a shade of impatience antony bent nearer to the image and kissed it good-bye Selajo, he whispered good-bye until the rising of the moon then he passed out onto the little staircase that led down into the wood and called back to the approaching voice i am coming beatrice beatrice being the name of his wife as he called a shaft of late sunlight suddenly irradiated the tall slim form of a woman coming up the wood she wore no hat and the sun made a misty glory of her pale gold hair she seemed a fairy romantic thing thus gliding in her yellow silk gown through the darkening pines and her face was the face of the image feature for feature there was on it too the same light the same smile antony she called as they drew nearer to each other where in the wide world have you been dinner has been waiting for half an hour dinner he said laughing and kissing her kindly fancy the high muses have made me half an hour late for dinner beauty has made me forget my dinner disgraceful i don't mind your forgetting dinner antony but you might have remembered me do you think i could remember beauty and forget you yes you are beautiful tonight beatrice you look like a lady one meets walking by a haunted well in some old arthurian tale hush said beatrice listen to the night jar he is worth a hundred nightingales yes what a passion is that said antony so sincere and yet so fascinating too yet do you say antony why sincerity is the most fascinating thing in the world and as they listened 
antony's heart had stolen back to Silajo, and once more in fancy he pressed his lips to hers in the dusk it is with such an eternal passion that i love you Silajo. end of chapter one chapter two the coming of Silajo. The manner in which Antony had found and come to love Silajo was a strange illustration of that law by which one love grows out of another, that law by which men love living women because of the dead, and dead women because of the living. One day, as chance had sent him, picking his way among the orange boxes, the moving farms, and the wig makers of Covent Garden, he had come upon a sculptor's shop oddly crowded in among cockney carters and decaying vegetables faces of greece and rome gazed at him suddenly from a broad window and for a few moments he forsook the motley beauty of modern london for the ordered loveliness of antiquity through white corridors of faces he passed with a cold breath of classic art upon his cheek and in the company of the dead who live forever he was conscious of a contagion of immortality soon in an alcove of faces he grew conscious of a presence someone was smiling near him he turned and almost with a start found that as he then thought it was no living thing but just a plaster cast among the others that was thus shining like a star among the dead a face not ancient not modern but a face of yesterday today and forever instantly he knew he had seen the face before where why of course it was the face of beatrice feature for feature how strange and loving beatrice he bought it because of his great love for her who was the artist what the time and circumstance that had anticipated in this strange fashion the only face he had ever really loved on earth he sought information of the shopkeeper who told him a strange little story of an unknown model an unknown artist and two tragic fates when antony had brought Silajo home to beatrice she had at first taken that delight in her which every created thing takes in a perfect or even an imperfect reflection of itself to have been anticipated in a manner so unusual gave back in romantic suggestiveness what at first sight it seemed to steal from one's personal originality only at first sight for if like beatrice you were the possessor of a face so uncommon in type that your lover might with little fear of disproof declare at all events in england that there was none other like it you might grow superstitious as you looked at an anticipation so creepily identical and conceive strange fancies of reincarnation what if this had been you in some former existence or at all events if there is any truth in those who tell us that in the mould and the lines of our faces and hands yes and in every secret marking of our bodies our fates are written as in a parchment would it not be reasonable to surmise perhaps to fear that the writing should mean the same on one face as on the other and the fates as well as the faces prove identical beatrice gave the mask back to antony with a little shiver it is very wonderful very strange but she makes me frightened 
what was the story the man told you antony no doubt it was all nonsense antony replied but he said that it was the death mask of an unknown girl found drowned in the seine drowned in the seine exclaimed beatrice growing almost as white as the image yes and he said too that the story went that the sculptor who moulded it had fallen so in love with the dead girl that he had gone mad and drowned himself in the seine also can it be true antony i hope so for it is so beautiful and nothing is really beautiful till it has come true but the pain the pity of it antony that is part of the beauty surely the very essence of its beauty 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 oh antony that is always your cry i can only think of the terror the human anguish poor girl and she turned again to the image as it lay upon the table see how the hair lies moulded round her ears with the water and how her eyelashes stick to her cheek poor girl but see how happy she looks why should we pity one who can smile like that see how peaceful she looks and with a sudden whim antony took the image and set it lying back on a soft cushion in the corner of the couch at the same time throwing round its neck his black cloak which he had cast off as he came in the image nestled into the cushion as though it had veritably been a living woman weary for sleep and softly smiling that it was near at last so comfortable she seemed you could have sworn she breathed antony lifted her head once or twice with his fingers to delight himself with seeing her sink back luxuriously once more beatrice grew more and more white antony please stop i cannot bear it she looks so terribly alive at that moment antony's touch had been a little too forcible the image hung poised for a moment and then began to fall in the direction of beatrice oh she is falling she almost screamed as antony saved the cast from the floor for god's sake stop how childish of you beatrice she is only plaster i never knew you such a baby i cannot help it antony i know it is foolish but i cannot help it i think living in this place has made me morbid she seems so alive so evil so cruel i am sorry you bought her antony i cannot bear to look at her won't you take her away take her up into the wood keep her there take her now i shall not be able to sleep all night if i know she is in the house she was half hysterical and antony soothed her gently yes yes dear i'm sorry i'll take her up the wood now this minute wait till i light the lantern poor beatrice i never dreamed she would affect you so i loved her dear because i love you but i would rather break her in pieces than that she should make you unhappy though to break any image of you dear he added tenderly would seem a kind of sacrilege you know how i love you beatrice don't you of course i do dear and it was sweet of you to buy her for my sake and i'm quite silly tonight 
tomorrow i shall think nothing about her still dear she does frighten me i can't tell why there seems to be something malignant about her something that threatens our happiness oh how silly i am meanwhile antony had lit an old brass lantern and presently he was flashing his way up among the dark sounds of the black old wood with that ghostly face tenderly pressed against his side he stopped once to turn his lantern upon her how mysterious she looked here in the night under the dark pines he too felt a little haunted as he climbed his chalet staircase and unlocked the door every sound he made echoing faithfully in the silent wood and when he had found a place for the image and hung her there she certainly looked a ghostly companion for the midnight lamp in the middle of a wood how strangely she smiled the smile almost of one taking possession no wonder beatrice had been frightened was there some mysterious life in the thing after all why should these indefinite forebodings come over him as he looked at her but he was growing as childish as beatrice surely midnight a dark wood a lantern and a death mask with two owls whistling to each other across the valley were enough to account for any number of forebodings but antony shivered for all that as he locked the door and hastened back again down the wood End of chapter two chapter three the northern sphinx antony had not written a poem to his wife since their little girl wonder had been born now some four years ago surely it was from no lack of love the silence but merely due to the working of what would seem to be a law of the artistic temperament that to turn a muse into a wife however long and faithfully loved is to bid good-bye to the muse but a day or two after the coming of Silajo, antony found himself suddenly inspired once more to sing of his wife it was the best poem he had written for a long time and when it was finished he came down the wood impatient to read it to beatrice this was the poem which he called the northern sphinx sphinx of the north with subtler smile than hers who in the yellow south with make-believe mysterious mouth deepens the ennui of the nile and with no secret left to tell a worn and withered old coquette dreams sadly that she draws us yet with antiquated charm and spell tell me your secret sphinx for mine what means the color of your eyes half innocent and all so wise blue as the smoke whose wavering line curls upward from the sacred pyre of sacrifice or holy death pale twisting wreaths of opal breath from fire mounting into fire what is the meaning of your hair that little fairy palace wrought with many a grave fantastic thought i send a kiss to wander there to climb from golden stair to stair wind in and out its cunning bowers o garden gold with golden flowers o little palace built of hair the meaning of your mouth who knows o mouth where many meanings meet death kissed its stern love kissed its sweet and each has shaped its mystic rose mouth of all sweets whose sweetness sips its tribute honey from all hives the sweetest of the sweetest lives soft flowers and little children's lips 
yet rather learned its heavenly smile from sorrow god's divinest art sorrow that breaks and breaks the heart yet makes a music all the while ah what is that within your eyes upon your lips within your hair the sacred art that makes you fair the wisdom that hath made you wise tell me your secret sphinx for mine the mystic word that from afar god spake and made you rose and star the fiat looks that bade you shine while antony read beatrice's face grew sadder and sadder when he had finished she said it is very beautiful antony but it is not written for me what can you mean beatrice who else can it be written for to the image of me that you have set up in my place beatrice are you going mad it is quite true all the same time will show perhaps you don't know it yourself as yet but you will before long but beatrice the poem shows its own origin has your image blue eyes or curiously coiled hair oh yes of course you thought of me you filled in from me but the inspiration the wish to write it came from the image it is certainly true that i love to look at it as i love to look at a picture of you because it is you as yet no doubt but you will soon love it for its own sake you are already beginning i love an image you are too ridiculous beatrice does it really seem so strange dear i sometimes think you have never loved anything else antony had laughed down beatrice's fancies yet all the time she had been talking he was conscious that the idea she had suggested was appealing to him with a perverse fascination to love not the literal beloved but the purified stainless image of her surely this would be to ascend into the region of spiritual love a love unhampered and untainted by the earth as he said this to himself his mind ever pitilessly self-conscious knew it was but a subterfuge a fine euphemism for a strange desire which he had known was already growing within him for when beatrice had spoken of his loving an image it was no abstract passion he had conceived but some fanciful variation of earthly love a love of beauty centering itself upon some form midway between life and death inanimate and yet alive human and yet removed from the accidents of humanity to love an image with one's whole heart if only one could achieve that and never come out of the dream these thoughts gave him a new desire to look again at the image he felt that in some way she would be changed and he hastened up the wood in a strange expectancy end of chapter three chapter four at the rising of the moon but a week or two more and beatrice's prophecy had progressed so far towards fulfilment that anthony was going about the woods and the moor saying over to himself the name he had found for the image as we saw in the first chapter and his love for Selajo begun more or less as a determined self-illusion grew more and more of a reality every day new life welled into Selajo's face as every day life ebbed from the face of beatrice surely foreseeing the coming of what she had feared for the love he gave to Selajo, antony must take away from beatrice 
from whom as the days went by he grew more and more withdrawn it was true that the long lonely days which he spent in the wood bore fruit in a remarkable productiveness never had his imagination been so enkindled or his pen so winged but this very industry the proofs of which he would each evening bring down the wood for that fine judgment of beatrice's which in spite of all still remained more to him than any other praise this very industry was the secret confirmation for beatrice's sad heart no longer the inspirer she was yet she bitterly told herself honored among women as a critic her heart might bleed and her eyes fill with tears as he read but then as he would say the beauty the music is it beautiful is it music if it be that no matter how it has been made let us give thanks for creation though it involves the sacrifice of our own most tender and sacred feelings to set mere personal feelings against beauty human tears against immortal creation did he spare his own feelings indeed he did not on the night when we first met him bidding good-bye to Salajo, until the rising of the moon he had sat through dinner eating but little feverishly and somewhat cruelly gay though he was yet too kind to admit it to himself beatrice was beginning to bore him not merely by her sadness which his absorption prevented his realizing except in flashes but by her very resemblance to the image of which from having been the beloved original she was in his eyes becoming an indifferent materialization the sweet flesh he had loved so tenderly became an offence to him as a medium too gross for the embodiment of so beautiful a face such a face as Salajo's demanded a more celestial porcelain dinner at last finished he made an excuse to beatrice for leaving her alone once more at the end as he had during all the rest of the day and hastened to keep his tryst with Salajo. during dinner the conscious side of his mind had been luxuriating in the romantic sound of until the rising of the moon for he was as yet a long way from being quite simple even with Silajo, and the idea of his going out with serious eagerness to meet one who if she was as he knew a living being was an image too delighted his sense of fantastic make-believe there is in all love that element of make-believe every woman who is loved is partly the creation of her lover's fancy he consciously sighed realizes her and with open eyes magnifies her importance to his life antony but made believe and magnified uncommonly and his dream of vivifying white plaster was perhaps less desperate than the dreams of some that would breathe the breath of life into the colder clay of some beloved woman who seems spontaneously to live but is dead all the while Salajo appeared to be dead but beneath that eternal smile as beatrice had divined as antony was learning she was only too terribly alive yes antony's was the easier dream the moon and antony came up the wood together from opposite ends and when antony entered his chalet Salajo was already waiting for him her head crowned with a moonbeam he kissed her softly and took her with him out into the ferns end of chapter four chapter five Silajo speaks 
so long as the moon held antony stole up the wood each night to meet Salajo at the rising of the moon sometimes he would lie in a hollow with her head upon his knee and gaze for an hour at a time entranced into her face he would feign to himself that she slept and he would hold his breath lest he should awaken her sometimes he would say in a tender whisper not loud enough for her to hear it is cold to-night Silajo. see my cloak will keep you warm once as he did this she heaved a gentle sigh as though thanking him at other times he would place her against the gable of the chalet so that the moonlight fell upon her and then he would plunge into the wood and walk its whole length so that as he wound his way back through the intervening breaks her face would come and go glimmering away off through the leafage beckoning him to return and once he thought he heard her call his name very softly through the wood that may have been an illusion but it was during these days that he did actually hear her speak for the first time he had been writing till past midnight with her smile just above him and when he had turned out the lamp and was moving to the door through the vague flickering light of the fire he distinctly heard a voice very luxurious and tender say antony just behind him it was hardly more than a whisper but its sweetness thrilled his blood and half in joy and fear he turned to her again but she was only smiling inscrutably as before and she spoke no more for that night End of chapter five chapter six the three black pawns at the bottom of the valley approached by sunken honeysuckle lanes that seemed winding into the centre of the earth lay three black pawns almost hidden in a cul-de-sac of woodland though long since appropriated by nature made her own by moss and rooted oaks they were so set one below the other with green causeways between each that an ancient art long since become nature had evidently designed and dug them years perhaps centuries ago so long dead were the old pond makers that great trees grew now upon the causeways and vast jungles of rush and water grasses choked the trickling overflows from one pond to the other once it was said when the earth of those parts had been rich in iron these ponds had driven great hammers but long before the memory of the oldest cottager they had rested from their labors and lived only the life of beauty and silence where iron had once been was now the wild rose and the grim wounds of the earth had been healed by the kisses of five hundred springs about these ponds stole many a secret path veined with clumsy roots shadowed with the thick bush of many a clustering parasite and echoing sometimes beneath from the hollowed shelter of coot or water rat lilies floated in circles about the ponds like crowns of sunken queens and sometimes a bird broke the silence with a frightened cry it was here that beatrice and wonder would often take their morning walk wonder though but a little girl of four having grown more and more of a companion to her mother since antony's love for Silajo, a morning in august the two were walking hand in hand wonder was one of those little girls that seemed to know all the meanings of life while yet struggling with the alphabet of its unimportant words the soul of such a child is of all things the most mysterious there was that in her face as she clung on to her mother's hand which seemed to say 
oh mother i understand all of it and far more if i might only talk to you in the language of heaven but my words are like my little legs frail and uncertain of their footing and while i think all your strange grown-up thoughts i can only talk of toys and dolls mother father's blood as well as yours is in my veins and so i understand you both poor little mother poor little father little wonder look at these things she may indeed have thought them but all she said was oh mother what was that that was a rabbit dear see there's another see his fluffy white tail and again oh mother what was that that was a water hen dear she has a little house a warm nest close to the water among the bushes yonder and she calls like that to let her little children know she's coming home with some dainty things for lunch she means hush hush don't be frightened i'm coming just as fast as i can funny little mother what pretty stories you tell me but do the birds really talk oh but look little mother there is daddy it was antony deep in some dream of Salajo. daddy daddy cried the little girl he took her tenderly by the hand daddy where have you been all this long time you have brought me no flowers for ever so long flowers little wonder they are nearly all gone away gone to sleep till next year but see i will gather you something prettier than flowers and hardly marking beatrice he led wonder up and down among the winding underwood fungi of exquisite yellows and browns were popping up all about the wood he gathered some of the most delicate and put them into the fresh small hands but daddy i mustn't eat them must i no dear they are too beautiful to eat you must just look at them and love them like flowers but they are not flowers daddy they don't smell like flowers i would rather have flowers daddy but there are no flowers till next year you must learn to love these too little wonder they are more beautiful than flowers oh no daddy they are not antony said beatrice how strange you are would you poison her see dear turning to wonder daddy is only teasing let us throw them away they are nasty nasty things promise me never to gather them won't you wonder yes mother i don't like them they frighten me antony turned into a by-path with a strange laugh and was lost to them in the wood end of chapter six chapter seven the lovers of Silajo. Silajo often spoke to antony now sometimes a sudden startling word when he was writing late at night sometimes long tender talks once a terrible whisper but all this time she never opened her eyes the lashes still lay wet upon her cheeks and when she spoke her lips seemed hardly to move only to smile with a deeper meaning and intenser life indeed at these times her face shone with so great a brightness that antony's vision was dazzled and to his gaze she seemed almost featureless as a star once he had begged to see her eyes you know not what you ask she had answered when you see my eyes you will die 
some day antony you shall see my eye but not yet you have much to do for me yet there is yet much love for you and me before the end have all died who saw your eyes Silajo? yes all died you have had many lovers Silajo, many lovers and far from here and long ago yes many lovers long ago echoed Silajo. you have been very cruel Silajo. yes very cruel but very kind it is true men have died for me i have been cruel yes but to die for me has seemed better than to live for any other and some of my lovers i have never forsaken when they have lost all in the world they have had me lonely garrets have seemed richly furnished because of my face and men with foodless lips have died blessed because i was near them at last sometimes i have kissed their lips and died with them and the world has missed my face for a hundred unlovely years for the world is only beautiful when i and my lovers are in it antony you are one of my lovers one of my dearest lovers be great enough be all mine and perhaps i will die with you antony and leave the world in darkness for your sake another hundred years tell me of your lovers Silajo. nearly three thousand years ago i loved a woman of mitaline very fair and made of fire but she loved another more than i and for his sake threw herself from a rock into the sea as she fell the rose we had made together fell from her bosom and was torn to pieces by the sea fishermen gathered here and there a petal floating on the waters but what were they and the world has never known how wonderful was that rose of our love which she took with her into the depths of the sea you are faithful Silajo. you love her still yes i love her still and with whom did love come next Silajo? oh i love many those years for the loss of a great love sends us vainly from hand to hand of many lesser loves to ease a little the great ache and at that time the world seemed full of my lovers i have forgotten none of them they passed before me a fair frieze of unforgotten faces but most i loved a roman poet because perhaps he loved so well the memory of her i had loved and knew so skillfully to make bloom again among his own red roses those petals of passionate ivory which the fisherman of lesbos had recovered from the sea tell me of your lovers Silajo, said antony again hundreds of years after i loved in florence a young poet with a face of silver his soul was given to a little red-cheeked girl she died and then i took him to my bosom and loved him on through the years 
till his face had grown iron with many sorrows. Now at last, his baby girl by his side, he sits in heaven with a face of gold. In Paris, she went on, have I been wonderfully beloved. And in the northern lands near the pole. But England, said Anthony, tell me of your English lovers. Best of them I love two. One a laughing giant who loved me three hundred years ago, and the other a little London boy with large eyes of velvet, who mid all the gloom of your great city saw and loved my face, as none had seen and loved it since she of Medellin. I found the giant sitting by a country stream, holding a daffodil in his mighty hands and whistling to the birds. He took and wore me like a flower. I was to him as a nightingale that sang from his sleeve, for he loved so much besides. Yet he loved me best, as those who can read his secret poems understand. But my little London boy loved me only. For him the world held nothing but my face, and it was of his great love for me that he died. But these were all poets, said Antony. Yes, poets are the greatest of all lovers, though all who since the world began have been the makers of beautiful things have loved me. I love my poets best. Sweeter than marble or many colors to my eyes is the sound of a poet singing in my ears. For whom, Silajo, did you step down into the sad waters of the Seine? It was a young poet of Paris, beloved of many women, a drunkard of strange dreams. He too died because he loved me, and when he died there was none left whose voice seemed sweet after his. So I died with him. I died with him, she repeated, to come to life again with you. Many leaps have pressed to mine, Antony, since the cold sleep of the Seine fell over me, but none were warm and wild like yours. I loved my sleep while the others kissed me, but with the touch of your lips the dreams of life begin to stir within me again. O oh, Antony, be great enough, be all mine, that we may fulfill our dream, and perhaps, Antony, I will die with you, and leave the world in darkness for your sake another hundred years. Exalted above the earth with the joy of Selajo's words, Antony pressed his lips to hers in an ecstasy, and vowed his life and all within it inviolably to her. End of chapter 7 End of section 1